Hi, and welcome back to Looking Through the Lens of Scripture. Um, today's podcast, uh, we will look into the feature film called Matrix, which was made, I think, back in, uh, was it 2003? 1999. Was it really? Oh my gosh. I thought it was in the 2000s. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's been a while. I haven't yeah. seen it for a long time, so I recently popped in the movie and I watched it again, and there's so much detail and symbolism that I totally forgot about. And some of which I was not, totally not even aware of. And uh, a really good movie and one of those visual milestone movies, right? Where um, just like Star Wars New Hope, it was like something new, something um, uh, not um, what audiences were conventionally used to. So it became a real sort of right. like watershed moment for feature film in that it was such a comic book style uh, live action movie. So what do you what do you think about that movie? I mean, how do you feel about the symbolism in The Matrix? Well, when I first saw it, I it was um in 1999, that would have been uh it was almost 2 years since I had become a Christian. So I was in uh, I remember being in sort of this peak awareness of uh my faith and everything changing and my my perspective changing so when i saw the matrix for the first time i was i was amazed i couldn't i couldn't believe it from the uh you know the the effects like i think it isn't it called bullet time yes um the the type of effect so that that seemed to be the first time we really uh saw that and then um as far as you know the spiritual aspect to it you could tell it had a, a really spiritual um undertone to it and then i remember one specific part that really kind of caught my attention and i re i was in the theater watching it and um i remember that specific part and the next day uh, I went back to the theater by myself to see the movie <laughs> because that one part uh, affected me and I wanted to see if it had any meaning. And um, it was when I think it was the character Cypher, who he was kind of the, the Judas of the story, we'll say. Precisely. Um, he, uh, he was leaning up against a door talking to Trinity. and the door had um, just the impression in the door had a cross shape. And I remember him kind of uh, rubbing it with his hand and uh, looking at it as he said something to the effect of, so you think he's the one or, or something and uh, referring to Neo. And um, when I saw that, that kind of, I was like, that was a like you could make out a cross there, and um, then it really changed my perspective of the film. So when I went and watched it again, I watched it from that perspective of um, you know the Savior Jesus Christ, and um, then it became since it became a story of um, not necessarily Christianity. But uh, I was, I've always watched the film and the ones that followed with that same uh, perspective, trying to find, you know, where or if they were um, 
referring to Jesus or likening the story to that of Christ. And uh, so that's why it it really affected me. Not to mention that I I really enjoy the movie and I enjoy the story. Even the the sequels I thought were, um, although a bit complicated for my mind at first, uh, just the the storyline I thought they were great. And um, then in the as the whole series ends, you know, the, there's three of them. Um, when the the series ended it i it was hard to tell like draw the meaning you know they bring in the architect of this and everything and um it was kind of disappointing because it almost felt in the end that they were saying we've been fooled you know even if if we believe in a savior we've been fooled and i was like wait are they are they um trying to reflect the story of christ are they trying to uh, deny it. And so, yeah, I just, I just found the whole thing interesting and specifically the first one, because that introduces us to Neo, to that, that kind of, um, storyline that may be representative of, uh, Christ. Yeah. I mean, you, it's interesting that you mentioned Cypher and, uh, yeah, I totally saw the, um, so the parallel between Cypher and Judas Iscariot. Uh, because they they basically both betray the savior figure, right? So Cypher betrays Neo and the entire group, and in the Bible, Judas betrays Jesus and uh, his disciples. And interestingly enough, I think in the begin near the beginning of the movie, um, as you mentioned, uh, you know, we were listening to a conversation over the phone or something where Cypher and Trinity are speaking, and Trinity's taking over his shift, and. Um, you know, Cypher's like, uh, you like him, don't you, right? And she's like, that's silly, don't be ridiculous. And then he says, we're going to kill him, you know that, right? And so, um, you know, I kind of wondered, like, you know, with, with Jesus, he chose the 12 disciples, he handpicked them, right? And he also handpicked Judas right. Iscariot. He wasn't just a, a mole. He wasn't just um, some guy that dropped into the, into the group by accident. He was specifically chosen for a very specific purpose. And obviously we know that Judas... Uh, you know, was kind of like meant to to betray Jesus. He was the mechanism through which Jesus would become arrested and crucified ultimately. Mm-hmm. And so, one, you know, I kind of wonder, like, when I was reading the the Gospels, you know, did did Judas know any of this? Like, what, you know, what drew him to to join the group? Like, why was he, um, you know, why was he there? Like, clearly, he was holding the the group's um, money purse, right? He was in charge of the money that was donated to the group. And he probably skimmed off the top and he lived a little bit more luxuriously than the others, right? And so maybe um, that's part of the reason why he was motivated to join the group. I mean, we can draw parallels between Judas and, you know, modern TV evangelists who are always, you know, sort of embroiled in scandal, right? Like, I mean, we touched on something that happened earlier about uh, a TV evangelist who wanted to buy a private jet, which is just completely ridiculous. Um, so, and we see Cypher's motivation in the movie. Um, he's sick of uh, reality. He wants to go back. He wants to be reinserted into the matrix. And that's why he kind of uh, makes a deal with the devil, right? He, he makes a, a deal with um, Agent Smith, who promises him that, oh, yeah, don't worry. We're, you know, once you uh, fulfill your end of the deal, we're going to insert you back in the matrix. And, you, you know, you won't remember any of this stuff. And 
and Cypher is ready to betray anybody. He's ready to um, deceive and um, betray anyone just to get back into the Matrix, um, which is kind of sad. Um, and in, in that respect, it also kind of parallels the Israelites, you know, when Moses leads them out of the uh, bondage under the, uh, the Pharaoh's rule, uh, a portion of the Israelites are sick of wandering through the desert, right? And they kind of lament the fact that they've been liberated mm -hmm. and they ironically want <laughs> to return to Egypt. They're like, no, let's stop wandering through the desert. I'm retired. Where are we going, right? Like, when are we, are we there yet, right? <laughs> and they want to go back. They, they, how could they possibly want to go back under bondage? I mean, maybe they've forgotten so quickly um, that, you know, they were totally oppressed by the Egyptians and the Pharaohs. Right. right. And so, again, we see um, this kind of, like, um, temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, right? And they succumb to temptation, and uh, they make poor decisions, right? Right. And, um, well, he is, uh, Cypher in that case is, is such a significant, um, character because of how he is, uh, when I was watching it, I remember thinking like the struggle that I had with what he was doing and, you know, I, it was primarily, um, seeing it as his desire just to be like back in the the comfortable uh world back in the matrix of course and um you know i think he was savoring a steak and um just loved the food and the the beauty of the matrix and um it's something that uh was very easy to um, understand, you know, it's not easy being, uh, a, a Christian, um, a disciple of Christ. And, uh, many of us falter, you know, we, we slide away from our faith and, um, because of such great temptations and so on, and our own, of course, weakness. And so he was, I think that was the, the cipher character, even though he, uh, was reflective of Judas, he was also very relatable. He was kind of a necessary thing in that story. Um, because it showed the hardship of what they were doing. And it, it was reflective of the hardship of what we do as Christians, I mean, daily, it is so simple to, um, it could be so simple to just go, oh, the, the resistance that we have to put up to so many things and whether it's, um, you know, cheating someone or, uh, getting angry in traffic. It's a lot of work to follow, uh, Christ and kind of do the, you know, proverbial, what would Jesus do sort of thing. And uh, so I, I really like, although that character was, you know, you don't like him, of course, in the movie, he was, I think he was an excellent character, a very um, necessary one, for sure. I agree. Like, uh, I think one of the things that a lot of atheists bring up in regards to the Bible is 
um, first of all, they think that it's very inconsistent, right? And then they sort of condemn and criticize um, biblical figures, right? And then, in, you know, in response, I say, yeah, you're totally right. The Bible is filled with all these accounts of people that are imperfect. They are, it is filled with accounts of people who are completely flawed, right? I mean, Moses didn't even want to, um, you, know, you know, the Lord's like, hey, Moses, like, I want you to bring the law to the people to establish order, right? To show them how I want them to live. And Moses is like, I'm not the one that you should be choosing, Lord. Like, I, I'm not a very good public speaker. And he's very reluctant, right? And <laughs> I think the Lord even kind of became a little bit, you know, angry with Moses because of his reluctance, right? And, uh, you know, look, Moses killed the guy, right? He killed a, uh, he killed an Egyptian official, right? That's why he, he fled, right? Mm -hmm. um, look at King David. He committed adultery with Bathsheba and sent her husband to the front line and then withdrew the troops and, you know, he basically died on the battlefield so, so that he could avoid scandal, right? But we know that King David is saved. You know, he was a man after God's own heart, right? Um, look at Abraham and Sarah, right? The Lord promised Abraham, you're going to be the, you know, the kind of the, the father of millions and billions of people, right? And even into their old age, they still didn't have a child to sort of like continue their um, their lineage, right? And they begin to doubt the Lord. They're like, you know, what's going on? Like, we're pretty old now and... Sarah's beyond her childbearing years, right? And so Sarah's like, well, listen, I don't think uh, the Lord's going to deliver on his promise. So let's take uh, things into our own hands. Uh, you can take my handmaid Hagar and she can sort of become your the concubine sort of thing and she can bear us a child, right? And so, you know, this is horrible. I mean, it leads to so much problems, right? Mm. And God never told them to do that. They of themselves decided, no, instead of trusting the Lord, Let's uh, let's to do it our way, right? Let's find a way to fulfill the Lord's uh, covenant with us, right? And so, in response, I I tell any atheist or anyone else curious about the Bible that yeah, like the the Bible is not um, a collection of accounts and stories of perfect people because it'd be difficult to learn from perfect people that never made mistakes, right? Like sometimes we have to learn the hard way, right? And so I consider the Bible as a collection of uh, cautionary tales, you know, like. Pretty much every book in the Bible consists of um, a story where someone has done wrong and then they try to sort of um, make things right, you know, or the Israelites are always, um, they're always sort of like diverging from worshiping the Lord um, and then committing idolatry. Like we see this uh, repeated so many times throughout the Bible that the Israelites are always losing their faith and they're, they always end up uh, following um, the worship of I think it's some sort of golden calf or other variants of false gods, right? And then they have to, they inevitably get punished by God and they come back, right? And so there's this kind of circle of, I have faith, okay, now I have doubt, uh, I'm weak, I'm tempted, I sin. And then there's that kind of phase of redemption, right? And, you know, the Bible is really, in my sort of viewpoint, um, a constant cycle that's reminding us that, yeah, we are sinners. Uh, we need to be saved. We're fallible. We, you know, we make mistakes. We make poor choices. The fact that we need a savior, right, is is inherent in Christianity. The, the entire foundation of Christianity is based on um, salvation by grace through faith, right? And so, uh, yeah, like having movies of characters that are perfect, that don't make any mistakes, um, as audiences, we just wouldn't be able to relate to these people, right? Because as you said, we 
you know, we daily die to our old self, right? We're constantly challenged by sin um, every day. And, uh, you know, if, if we love Jesus, you know, we obey his commandments. So um, we do our best uh, to abide by the commandments and we can't do it perfectly, right? But I think it's this struggle, uh, this daily commitment and devotion that uh, provides an example to others. You know, it's kind of like a, a beacon, right? When others see how how good we are and how well we live our lives and how well we treat our our friends and even our enemies, it it's kind of like um, inspirational to people, right? It's, it's inspirational to atheists, and it's also inspirational to theists, right? So uh, when we live a good Christian life, uh, we're kind of becoming an example, right, to others. Like, hey, you know, here's my life. Um, I'm loyal to my wife, and, um, you know, I provide for my kids, right? And, yeah, I do suffer um, sort of like... Uh, I do struggle with uh, challenges, right? And But we still remain steadfast in our faith that, yeah, God will continue to provide for us and his grace will cover all of our sins, right? And so I think that's that's what drew me towards Christianity. Um, a lot of my friends were, um, you know, they believed in God and I kind of saw their lives and I thought, yeah, they've got it together, right? They're smart, uh, they're dedicated, they're disciplined, uh, they have goals, right? Um, and not to say that atheists don't have similar attributes many of them do right um but i i kind of wanted to uh, model myself against um you know against christians and against what the bible sets forth for us right um and i think that's important right well you often hear um people also uh, will say to a christian at some point you know i, I there's something different about you or mm -hmm. You have a different approach to people, and sometimes it's more um, obvious. Sometimes it's a little more subtle. But I've heard numerous times um, people uh, that I know have been asked, you know, how do you, how are you so calm all the time, or <laughs> how do you, uh, how do you deal with things that you know, I see you do like often it's usually in the workplace. Um, but, uh, yeah. And, and what, when I hear of that, I, it often impresses me in the sense that, well, I know this person well, and I know that they have struggles and I know that they, um, they sometimes react in ways that they're not proud of and so on. However, they're still shining through, you mm -hmm. know, their, their, uh, faith is still, um, even though it may not be, uh, seen as a faith, it's just seen as a, a characteristic or a personality and how they deal with what's going on around them. Um, it's almost very difficult once you've committed your life to Christ to hide that even if you tried it's it's something that becomes so so much a part of your heart and your character and it takes time of course but uh people do notice and so that, that what impresses me about that is that people notice it even amongst the things that we're tr still trying to um change about ourselves and when uh when you mentioned that 
you know, speaking to a lot of atheists, they say, oh, it's the Bible, everyone's got problems and um, how they're, you know, they're sinners and so on. I think, well, imagine the backlash we would get if every character in the Bible was perfect and did, you know, nothing wrong and there were no lessons to learn and to be learned. And um, it was just, you know, oh, the Bible's full of this, these people who are just perfect Christians and do no wrong and there's no violence and there's there's no sin and that I, I you know I, I think atheists are people that question the validity and truth of the Bible um, they'll find anything that they can to grasp onto in in terms of um, you know refute and it it's it often reminds me of uh politics where um it's the opposition's job to find fault in even good policy you know because i would say the first rule of politics is to acquire and maintain power so when you're the opposition that's what you're <laughs> trying to do um acquire and then hopefully maintain power and so even if you see policy as being mm, you know that's not a bad idea uh but we got to find something that is bad about it <laughs> yeah. um i often see that in uh when i'm speaking with people that question christianity or question my faith and you can discuss it with them and you, you make a valid point, and they're like, yeah, I get that, but... So, um, yeah, it's just it's interesting the, the approach that we take to uh, when we're refuting something, and in this case, when people refute the Bible and its word, um, how they kind of look for anything in that regard. Yeah. I mean, in the Matrix, Agent Smith, the I guess he's the central AI. He's like, I hate this world. I hate the Matrix. You know, we had to make it for you guys. Right. And uh, I think he mentions the first Matrix construct was a perfect paradise where there was no there were no problems at all. Mm -hmm. And he said, oh, but you guys rejected it. So we lost entire crops of human beings. Right. And so it's interesting that you mention. Yeah, if the Bible was filled with um, accounts of people who were perfect and did no wrong, um, there would still be someone, an individual, individual somewhere that would just say, well, that's not even realistic. How is that possible? Like, look at our world right now. Like, the Bible is just a fairy tale, right? And we we hear, you know, these kind of these, uh, offhand remarks. Oh, well, I don't, I don't believe in imaginary friends, right? In reference to the biblical figures and God himself, right? So... Um, this rejection of scripture and the factual um, evidence, right, is something that I find yeah, a lot of people struggle with, right? They're like, did these miracles actually happen, right? Um, was there really a David and Goliath, right? And I think part of the problem is that um, a lot of people just have this kind of their own construct in their mind of what uh, certain concepts in the Bible are. For example, um, a unicorn, they they think, oh, unicorns is a white horse that has the horn coming out of its forehead. And uh, I'm like, no, it's that's not what a, what a unicorn is. A unicorn is 
basically a rhinoceros or something, some kind of creature like that, right? But I mean, when when people say, oh, well, you know, mm. the earth is flat, like, no, that's what the Bible says. And that's just ridiculous, right? It doesn't say that, right? It says the the circle of the earth hangs upon nothing, right? So, you know, like like you said, they will find everything or any and anything to uh, discredit the Bible. And it's not because um, that the Bible is silly and inaccurate. It's just because I find that the majority of people who have a problem with, with God and religion as a whole, they just don't want the rule set. They don't agree with the rules. They don't want to own up to, uh, you know, the consequences of their own actions. They want to be able to sin um, and not have any repercussions. They don't want anyone to tell them what to do. And I think that's the the mm-hmm. the one common thread I find among a lot of atheists is that uh, they don't want to be judged by anyone else, right? Um, they should be their own judge. They should set their own morality. But um, it's just not possible, right? We we are all fallible. Like, we cannot um, set objective morality because we have our own biases, right? And that's why we need right. a separate entity, which is God, who is perfect, just, and sinless to set the objective morality and standard for us, right? Uh, that's why God gave us the laws, right? The, the Ten Commandments are the law, right? And this is how he... This is what he thinks is the best for us to live our lives in harmony and peace, right? Um, what's interesting about Agent Smith in The Matrix is um, he, he's very self-righteous. He's He feels he's superior to, to man. He thinks that he's pure and sinless in many regards. Um, he hates and loathes mankind. He regards man's weaknesses as a, as a, um, a flaw, as a, a fragile... Um, sort of thing that needs to be destroyed, right? Um, in many ways, you can compare Agent Smith to the devil, right? Oh, yeah. Agent Smith, he loves himself like the devil, right? He wants more. He wants more of himself, of the you know, of the, of the AI construct, and less of humanity, right? Um, he uses uh, mankind for his own purposes, in this, in this case, energy, right? Um, and he just wants to destroy. He just, he, he, that's his only intention is to find seek out and destroy uh, flaws, right? And uh, he even uh, mentions to Neo later in the movie that he think, or I think he, Smith mentions to Morpheus, I think, that he regards mankind as as a virus. But there's a lot of irony in that because Agent Smith actually becomes a virus himself, right? And so we see um, the symbolism of uh, hypocrisy uh, as a really bad thing. That's true. Um the well i see uh, agent smith quite literally as the that the devil of the story um when i look at it through you know a kind of a, a christian lens and um it is it is strange how that hypocrisy comes about and you know when we talk about um faith of Christianity and I think uh, hypocrisy is one of the most wonderful aspects of Christianity <laughs> because it's such a teaching thing it keeps us I would say it almost keeps us on our toes I I think that we're we're all um, Hippocratic in many ways and that's a constant struggle for us when we recognize it. I 
I imagine there's Christians out there and that would say, well, I'm not, I don't uh, contradict my own, um, you know, my own profession of faith and so on. And, but I do it all the time. I, and, you know, I, I try to, um, I think it's that, that, uh, behavior on my part when I am being hypocritical, you know, where maybe I'm reacting to something in traffic or I'm, um, finding myself with a certain dislike for a situation or even a person and, um, it, I have to check myself and, uh, that keeps me, it keeps me on my toes faith-wise. It keeps me in touch with my own, um, my own walk, we'll say. And if I was just like, yeah, I never do anything that contradicts, uh, my faith. I always practice what I preach, so to speak. I think I would lose sight of the, uh, significance of, the decision I made and the way I've decided to try to live my life. Um, so the other thing that, uh, you mentioned, um, when it comes to agent Smith and even cipher. And when we, uh, talk about finding, you know, atheists, how they look for, opposition like it really is a world of opposites and even you know when we think of like uh einstein you know equal or for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction it seems like that is a necessary part of function and if there were no opposites what would be the significance of what we're doing um, so I find it really interesting when we look at the film, how, uh, that sort of approach that, that kind of, uh, thinking towards Neo and the agents and the, the matrix itself and how the one version that they said they had the, the perfect utopian version but humans rejected it. Well, I don't think anything can be sustained when there is no um, opposition. I think opposition actually uh, helps sustainability, or it simply becomes something else. And uh, one of the things I, the other thing I remembered about, I just remembered it, uh, the ending of The Matrix when um isn't in the first the first one neo is killed mm -hmm. yeah he actually dies and yeah he dies that's right and then he comes back and then the the movie ends with him flying up into the sky right um yeah like i think that there's that subway scene where he and Ian smith are going at it they're punching each other and then uh he gets pummeled and then he basically flatlines yeah. uh, when you go back to reality and then in, the, in that ship. And then it's actually Trinity that brings him back. Right. right. And he's like talking to him. You can't die. I don't believe that you can die. Come on. Like you gotta, you have to help us. Right. 
Yeah, like you mentioned uh, opposites, right? Like good good versus evil, life versus death, right? Mm-hmm. Saved versus unsaved. Like I th- I think that you're right. Like that um, construct is uh, throughout everything. And it's especially so in this movie. We have, um, you know, Neo who's searching for answers to questions he isn't even aware of yet. Um, Smith wants the complete annihilation of mankind. Um, you know, Neo yearns for meaning and love, right? Smith covets true power, authority, and control, right? Uh, Neo seeks the truth. Uh, Smith seeks perfection. Uh, Neo is humble and modest and f- wants to find meaning. And Smith is a- arrogant and filled with hubris, right? So, yeah, the, the Neo versus um, Smith, that's pretty much the entire th- thematic conflict of the movie, right? The opposition, right? The, the life versus death kind of battle that we see um, in the Bible. But we also see this in, in mythology as well, right? We see um, this constant sort of uh, tug uh, of war, right, so to speak. And I think that's what sort of everyone loves a good a story, a good story about, you know, a bad guy versus the good guy, right? And we want to root for the good guy in most cases, right? And I think that if you read the Bible, um, you know, instead of focusing on all these character flaws of biblical figures, um, I think it's in Ephesians, it says, um, you know, we struggle or battle against um, a spiritual warfare, right? We're not, we're not fighting a, a, a physical war, you know, against man versus man, right? We're, we're struggling against, you know, sin and, you know, the devil. We're struggling against temptation, right? And, you know, like that's why sin is considered a debt, right? And the only way to pay for this this debt of sin is eternal death, right? And so that's why God basically sent his son to earth, right? Not to condemn it, but to save it, right? To give us a way out of uh, the consequences of our sins, right? And so for me, in the Matrix, they, this um, good versus evil symbolism is, you know, really prevalent uh, between the two characters of Neo and, and Agent Smith. Hey, um... I actually, when watching the film, uh, even for the first time, I thought it was actually very clever, <laughs> <laughs> the idea of the the Matrix, and um, you know the the whole concept of the machines um, rising up. Not necessarily that the machines were bad; they were just they became smart enough that they too were uh, seeking a means for survival. And um, then if I remember right, the humans, they tried to block out mm-hmm. the sun to uh, minimize solar energy. And that's when the machines decided to essentially uh, use humans as sources of power. Um, but, one of the things that I I thought was very clever about it was how um, humans were, they were kind of fooled into, or not even fooled, they were just literally made to believe that they were uh, in this wonderful place. They're just going about their lives. And um, meanwhile the essence of who they were, their 
their bodies, their souls, everything was had fallen victim to um we'll say a more malevolent force and uh i thought like that is like so such a clever concept that they had in the movie but it is very much um like what what we go through when we're when we aren't aware when we're when we're not aware of uh how um what am i trying to say how our our souls have sort of fallen victim in a way that we've kind of masked over you know we we go about our lives and we're we're uh, kind of doing our own thing setting our own rules and um meanwhile that true essence of who we are is is being uh utilized not by us but by um another force altogether and i that was one of the things that really stood out to me with the movie and in my my kind of uh, christian outlook of it was how we can very quickly or very easily be unaware of um how our our real essence which is our 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 spirituality our our spiritual being is um has fallen victim and what we enjoy and the rules we set and the lives we we like to live when we actually pass none of that is what remains what remains is what our spirit and our souls um have actually uh how they have lived and when we become a christian we we kind of become in touch where we we uh find i don't know we we become uh <laughs> what am i trying to say here we become aware of our our spirit and souls and it becomes um important to us to save them you know that's what jesus does he he saves us but that is what he is saving he is saving what lives forever and you know it can live forever with him or it can live forever in uh, a more darker alternative yeah like i think you touched upon something very interesting like the rat race right that's what you're sort of uh, implying like we go to school <laughs> right we learn a bunch of stuff We've proved that we're mm -hmm. smart or we've retained information. And then we graduate to the next step. Okay, college or university. And we learn even more stuff. We prove that we've retained it. And, and now we have to show that we can uh, apply it practically in the workplace, right? And then we get a job. And then we, you know, earn money. Now we start amassing all these bills, like student loans, mortgage payments, car payments. And it's this constant. We're just running on this treadmill until the day we die, right? Because... We have to pay back all this debt, right? And so, you know, when I was a kid, I was like, I don't understand what's the whole point of life, right? We we live, we eat, you know, we have fun, we suffer, and then we die, right? What's the, what's the point of that? Um, if there's nothing else after that, um, it's kind of depressing, right? Like all the struggles that you've gone through, yeah. all the, the horrible peer pressure that you went through during high school, um, all the ridicule that you might have suffered, 
uh, from bullies. Um, and then, you know, you get um, beaten out uh, through competition at the workplace to get a job that you really wanted, but you lost to someone else that was perhaps more qualified or had the better connections than you. You know, there's a lot of like injustices in this world, right? I mean, it's clearly not a perfect world. And, uh, you know, what's the point? Like, you know, you struggle and this, there's this whole survival of the fittest mentality, right? But I kind of felt, you know, when I was growing up, there's got to be more than just um, the physical, the carnal, right? The accumulation of wealth and the physical uh, pleasures that we indulge in, right? There's got to be uh, some some meaning, something more, something greater, right? Um, and like in, in The Matrix, Neo's like kind of like questioning something's wrong with this reality that I'm a part of, right? He he kind of intuitively feels that something is wrong and that there's an anomaly in the reality that he resides in. And it kind of <laughs> makes one think about how some people are saying, oh, we're just part of a simulation or we're part of uh, someone's imagination, right? Uh, which I personally think is kind of silly. Um, but, you know, like it touches upon the idea of, hey, the Matrix is an illusion, right? And Neo is always asked, hey, do you believe in fate? And and Neo's like, no, I don't. I fully believe that I have control over what I what I do, right? Uh, but the truth is that the Matrix is real, and it's um, it's a way that the AI have used to enslave mankind, right? And, like, I think, you know, like, you're saying, you know, there's this whole rat race kind of mentality, and we're kind of trapped inside this construct, and our daily struggles um, make us focus on the small things. So it's hard to see the big picture, right? Like we don't have time to really contemplate and philosophize about why there's so much struggles and differences of opinion. Uh, why do social issues always exist, right? Like if you look through human history, it's always been um, divisive, right? There's always one group that has this opinion, another group that has this other differing opinion, and then there's the competition between these tribes or these two groups of people, right? And I kind of feel like the reason why people really enjoy the Matrix and it really resonated with people is because they uh, perhaps consciously or subconsciously identify with the idea that we are in a Matrix, we are inside a construct, and um, perhaps we were being manipulated as a, as a population, right? And that instead of um, you know, watching TV and consuming all this media and consuming all sorts of um, things, you know, we need to take a step back and say, you know, why are we here? You know, uh, can't we just um, arrive at a better solution? Um, in the U.S., like, um, it's definitely clearly divided along political lines. We have Democrats versus uh, Republicans, right? Red versus blue. And, um, yeah, sometimes you'll have these moderates that are kind of in between, or you'll have a Democrat with Republican leanings, or you'll have a Republican with Democratic leanings, right? And I kind of feel like, why are we forced into this kind of bipartisan political structure? Um, why can't we just agree like, yeah, we, we're not always going to be in full agreement. We're going to have to compromise. And instead of this two-party system where it's two opposing forces and you can never, you know, uh, get anything done because... As you said before, maybe um, a proposed law is good for a certain number of people, but there are always going to be people who just are not happy with it, right? I mean that it, that just seems counterproductive and doesn't is not conducive to a very um, a unifying sort of force to to draw citizens together as as a as one people, right? 
I mean, you know, in the U.S., it's kind of like we were supposed to be um, one people, one nation under God, right? And like, I think that's awesome, right? The the forefathers drafted the Constitution. That's totally amazing, right? And we have all these rights, and um, it's fully awesome. But I kind of feel like everyone has their own little miniature platform, right? And um, we're in these little rafts, <laughs> right? And the sails are deployed to capture the winds that we agree with, right? But then there's a bunch of other, like, storms and hurricanes mm -hmm. swirling around us. And so... People in the U.S. are just jostled to and fro, like, and it kind of makes me think of the scripture where it says, you know, like, don't be buffeted by every wind of false doctrine, right? Don't succumb to the manipulation, really, the, the biases that are in the media that are telling you to do this, to do that, to think in this way. Um, you know, obviously, there's allusions to the novel uh, 1984, right, or even Fahrenheit 451 where we have the the mind police, right? They're trying to control what you think. Um, and, you know, I think you've touched upon something that that's an undertone to the movie, right? That um, we're in this thing and we can't see it because we're so deep inside it and we're so preoccupied with the world and the things that we want to get out of the world that we're failing to see what's actually important, um, which is... Yeah, let's have everlasting life in heaven where there's no problems, right? There's absence of sin. There's absence of suffering. There's no death. Like, that's pretty awesome, right? No no more lies, um, no more cheating, um, no more pain, right? And, and Jesus is always teaching his disciples, you know, you need to be focusing on accumulating treasures in heaven, right? Uh, don't don't um, focus on earthly wealth because that's totally temporary, right? It's temporal. It's going to be gone. You literally cannot take it with you. It doesn't matter if you're a multi-billionaire, you can't take that money with you because when you die, you die. Like you, there is no um, carrying or migrating assets into <laughs> into heaven, right? And uh, I think that <laughs> like that's why people really gravitate towards this movie is because it, it's asking those kind of deeper questions, right? Well, and it, it seems to um, represent or present an idea that makes many think, oh, there's an out, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're, uh, we're going through this and we are in the rat race and we're trying to get ahead and we're trying to, um, you know, life is such a roller coaster, 10 steps forward and sometimes two steps back and sometimes 20 <laughs> yeah. steps back. And that's what life is. And the matrix kind of offers that, um, that idea of an out that, okay, this is just temporary. And what I think it does is it opens our eyes beyond what we see. You know, we, it's so easy to not to it's so easy not to um uh acknowledge the the bigger picture of like you said everlasting life and um what we do take with us when we die which is our our souls our spirit and um because of what our eyes see our eyes are so uh, the only thing they see is what is material and um, and Christianity itself our 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 faith 
helps us see differently. We, we're using a different eye. Um, and that is, that's why it is such a challenge, you know, seeing like the big picture, that big picture, which is our everlasting life is, I'll admit it absolutely as a Christian, it is so difficult most days to even comprehend. Yet that's where my faith comes in. My faith, um, I try to have my faith supersede my uh, misunderstanding or my lack of comprehension because that big picture is so much bigger than what I think our minds um, reflective of what our eyes see. Oh, it, it's so much bigger what our minds can really understand um, and take in. So that's why even, even as a Christian, we're, we are very, um, it's so difficult to, to see through that, that muck of <laughs> what our eyes see, what our bodies, uh, experience. Yeah. Like, I mean, I remember teaching my son how to ride a bike and, uh, <laughs> it took a while. And uh, it's because they just don't trust you that they won't let go of, they don't want you to let go of the bike, right? Because they're like, oh, no, I'm going to fall. If you let go of my, if you let go of my seat, I'm going to fall and I'm going to hurt. I'm going to get angry at you, right? And so it takes a long time for them to actually build the trust, I guess, and trust that you know what you're talking about because you've already done it. You know how to ride a bicycle. You're teaching me, right? There's still that distrust of, don't let me go yet. I'm not ready yet. Right. And so the thing is, you're never going to be ready if you never fully trust that you're going to be able to bounce that bicycle. Right. And I told him, you need to build the speed. And once you have the speed, you'll have what's called inertia. And that inertia will carry you forward and you won't fall. So I said, you need to trust me. You can't go slowly. You will never ride your bicycle very slowly because you just I, I can't even do it. You just fall. Right. And so you need to build the speed in a forward direction right. and that speed will make you, will help you balance the bicycle and you will be able to, to ride without falling, right? And so it took many times for him to fall and he got really upset with me. And I'm like, trying not to get frustrated by it, but I am, right? Because he just doesn't trust me. He's like, I'm like, hello, dude. Uh, I know how to ride a bicycle. You have to just do what I say. I know it doesn't make sense, <laughs> but speed is your friend here, right? And eventually, you know, he, I actually let go of the bike, the bike, and he didn't know it. And I'm like, I'm like, hey, look at me, I'm way back here. You're doing it, and he just, you know, he kind of like he couldn't believe it, right? And that's what makes me think about. Uh, that's what it makes me think about faith, right? Like you, you tell an atheist or someone who's unsaved, here, here's the construct, here's the system. God created the universe, okay? Like he created time, space, and matter, and energy. He set all the physical laws. Then he created life. He designed it. It's obvious. Evolution. Yeah, that's not true. We didn't evolve from rocks. It's impossible, right? DNA, that's the mechanism through which he uses to store information. Organized, in, organized uh, living organisms are highly organized. It requires information. There's a crap ton of stuff that goes into it. You can't just build it from scratch out of nothing through natural processes. But they just don't want to believe it. They're like, no, no, that's not. We evolved over billions of years. That, like, no, that's just ridiculous, right? 
at some point you just have to say, okay, enough of this, uh, this kind of man-made construct. I just have to have faith. God did create the universe. That's it, right? I mean, uh, there are no natural processes for the the origin of life. I mean, in fact, Darwin's uh, book, right, um, he even admitted himself that evolution is not a solution to explain the origin of life. It's just a solution to show uh, how the diversity of life occurred, right? And, um, you know, I've had, I've had conversations with atheists about evolution. And I'm like, you know, listen, macroevolution is... Um, is not possible. Like you can't have one kind of creature evolving into another kind. It's just genetically you can't do it, right? The gap is too great. Uh, microevolution, yeah, that's we see that every day. Like that's why there's what three hundred breeds of dogs, right, and cats, and different breeds of horses and cows and chickens. Like yeah, we've done it through uh, selective breeding, right? That kind of evolution on a micro scale is is true because it's there's a malleability to the genetics, right? And so. So when people say, oh, no, like, um, no, we evolved and on the, we have a common ancestor, I'm like, no, this is impossible. But that kind of genetic drift is not possible, right? Like if you study genetics, you realize that, yeah, there is variability for change, right? But you can't have great gaps in in morphological changes. It's just not possible, right? And so for me, like, my faith is ironically based out of science, like, I started learning all this awesome stuff. I love um, learning about systems, whether it's the nervous system, the muscular system, the digestive system. I love it. It's so fascinating to me that these processes um, are intact. They're functional and they work perfectly, right? And um, it's the the system that is the proof, right, for me that there is a designer, there is a creator, right? Like in the universe, we see... Uh, a natural tendency towards uh, minimum energy, right? So heat is lost, um, and maximum entropy, which means maximum chaos, right? Any, anything that's ordered will become disordered rapidly, right? If you if you leave anything outside um, unprotected and unmaintained, like a car or a piece of furniture or even clothing, right, it's going to decompose and deconstruct itself into its elements. I mean, that's it's so simple. It's very clear. Like there's, you can do experiments. It's self-evident, right? Nothing cannot come, uh, nothing cannot become something unless an uh, external force um, provides the en energy and information to do that, right? To make that gap, that jump, right? And so for me, like even as a child, I, I kind of intuitively, I intuitively understood, yes, like there is a designer, there's an author, there's a creator, there's an architect, right? And in the Matrix, um, it's pretty cool because we know that um, that AI, Smith admits, yeah, he is the product of technology that man created. He um, declares himself as a new life form, as an evolved life form, right, thanks to mankind, right? And I kind of feel like, um, you know, like, although Smith isn't religious, like, he doesn't believe in God, yet he is speaking with his creator, which is mankind, right? Which is kind of kind of interesting, right? And we see that the idea of faith uh, is symbolized throughout the movie, and um, pretty much the entire movie is based on Neo's faith in himself, right? Neo doesn't believe that he's the one, right? He's like, no, I'm a, I'm just some guy that you guys rescued from the Matrix, right? 
But yet Morpheus, Trinity, and the group, they target Neo on purpose, right? Follow the yellow, follow the white rabbit, right? They're actually, um, they've hand-selected Neo to extract him from the Matrix, right? And so Neo learns to develop faith in himself and in his his actual potentials, his actual abilities, right? Um, and that's what he uses to defeat Smith, right? And, um, you know, he kind of learns through Trinity that he can defeat Smith and that he must defeat him because there's no other choice. There's no, there's no alternative to that, right? And what's cool is that ultimately Neo does end up defeating Smith uh, and now he's in control, right? Now uh, Neo becomes the hunter and Agent Smith becomes the hunted, right? And I think that's, you know, that's kind of interesting because, you know, a lot of people who are into science fiction are tend to be atheists, right? They don't believe in God or they've rejected God in the past or whatever other religion they've sort of been taught, right? But, but the Matrix and the storyline behind it um, is kind of like, um, you know, sort of granted an idea that there is a const uh, there is a construct there is a, a formal sort of system that governs everything right like the planets spin uh, there's nuclear forces that actually happen um, there's atomic interactions that happen there's all these rules that the physical universe and all physical objects in the universe obey like there is no uh, debate it's not like an atom will say i don't want to act like this i don't want to obey this kind of interaction i don't want to be part of the the atom, right? I, I'm a proton. I just, I don't want to do this anymore. Or electron. I don't want to spin around this anymore. No, like it's, they obey the laws, right? There's no um, two ways about it, right? And so, you know, for humanity, we have laws in place. And pretty much most of the laws that man has in the secular world, they're, they're based on the Ten Commandments, really, when you think about it, right? And as I said before, people don't really have a problem with the Ten Commandments, so much as they have a problem with God, right? They they agree with the last five commandments, but it's the first five, it's, it's the first five commandments that, that they have a problem with. It's the first five commandments that they have a problem with, right? And what I like about the Matrix is that we have this idea that, um, you know, Neo doesn't know who he is. He just thinks he's a big... Neo thinks he's basically just a nobody, right? He's a throwaway. And as a character, he is pretty much a blank slate. Like we, we as the audience fill in for Neo. We become Neo. We see the world, the world of the Matrix through his eyes, right? And he's kind of like this everyman, and uh, he has no faith in himself. But during the course of the movie, he begins to have a a belief, and instead of believing in himself, he actually believes um, that he's not the savior. He's not the one, and that leads him into a course of action to save Morpheus because Morpheus is totally um, 100% um, believing that Neo is the one. And the Oracle manipulates Neo in in a way saying that, sorry, you're not the one. So Morpheus is wrong. And this is the catalyst for Neo's actions uh, to um, to sacrifice everything to save Morpheus. And it's kind of funny because Morpheus is willing to sacrifice everything to save Neo, right? Uh, and in the in the midst of it, Agent Smith is like, I just want the codes designed to destroy the mainframe, right? And so I think it's totally awesome. It's such a good, um, such a good story plot. And there's so much religious symbolism in it that ironically, atheists who enjoy the movie 
I think they like it because of the underlying symbolism that they may not even be aware of. Mm-hmm. That's true. Um, what you were saying earlier about momentum, I think, is important too. About when you're teaching your son to ride his bike, um, and you can see where Neo actually gets some momentum, precisely, and that builds his faith. You know, it, it it takes a little bit of um, some wondrous moments in our our walk to go, oh, you know, I was actually believing for that, or I was praying for that, or I was um, I was actually trying to really trust God in this situation, and He came through, and there's I. I think there is a momentum of faith that uh, it takes, for some it takes weeks to build, for some it takes generations. But um, I think that's an important aspect of, you know, we, we see it in the movie and I, I think we see it in our our own faith where, yeah, if you go, if you go slow and you kind of just waddle along, um, not really trying to build that momentum in your faith, you are going to stumble. You're going to fall over. But once you get that momentum built and you're moving along, it is a lot easier to stay up and you, you know, you start a journey. Um, so that is a great, that's a great analogy when you talk about um, teaching your son to ride a bike. And, and then, of course, in the movie, that that's what happens. Neo gets that momentum, and even when he's told, like he said, "You're not the one," and he goes to to save um, Morpheus. You know, often when we're told, like if you told your son if he was falling and falling, and he got close to going, and you said, "Yeah, you're you're not going to be able <laughs> yeah. to do this." In many ways, I think that's when he would step up and be like, actually, I can do this. You know, so um, there was a, sometimes you need a little bit of reason to prove yourself. And um, I think that happens in the movie. And I think it happens in our faith a lot, too, where, um, you know, almost a little bit of denial of what we're um what we're trying to do you know you get people that don't believe or challenge our belief and they say yeah you're not gonna you can't sustain this kind of life this um christian lifestyle and and i think that gives us a bump that we need to go you know what i think i can and I'm going to try just that little bit harder because you <laughs> yeah. said I can't. Exactly. Like, I kind of feel like, okay, my own personal experience, um, I rejected the faith that I grew up in in my family. Uh, it just didn't make any sense to me. Uh, I had more questions than answers, and none of the answers kind of fulfilled my kind of desire to find out more. And the construct of that religion just uh, wasn't appealing to me. And... Uh, uh, it wasn't just it wasn't logical at all like there was no real end end goal there's no purpose right? what was it um like buddhism right there's like this whole 
idea of oh reincarnation and reincarnation is a theme in in um in the matrix right because we learn later that there have been many neos mm-hmm. right neo has has uh, been born and born again and again and again this kind of constant vicious cycle right and there there have been multiple matrixes that have been created and destroyed and created and destroyed and all that kind of stuff right and and for me i just didn't think it made any sense like why would you be reincarnated like um, the idea in Buddhism is that, like, you live a life and you make some good choices, you make some bad choices, you develop this these karma points. It's kind of like a game, so, and you know, when you die, you get this cumulative score of karma points, and then somehow uh, you're reborn based on how many points that you earned. Right. So if you earned a negative amount of karma points, you come back as an insect or something like that. Wow. Or if you only earned a few points, then you come back as a as some sort of animal or something like that, right? And I just thought, that doesn't make any sense. Like, what kind of system is that? And even if that system... I wonder if there's an app. <laughs> yeah, even if the system is true, then there still requires a governor, right? There is some entity higher than everyone else that will say, you had only 50 points, you become a lizard. You have negative 15 points, you become an amoeba. <laughs> okay, that's it, right? So there, there needs to be a construct, a system, right? And I said, I asked, uh, I asked, like, you know, who's that governor, right? Who's that uh, higher entity? And they're like, well, there is, it doesn't exist. It just happens. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense because every system on Earth in the universe has uh, some sort of order to it. There's a hierarchy, right? Planets revolve around the sun, right? right? Moon revolves around the Earth, right? Water is, uh, you know, like below the landmass. There's landmass that emerges above the water. Gravity pulls the earth, uh, the water down. The moon causes tidal waves, right? The, there's a system that governs everything, whether it's uh, physical or organic things or inorganic material, right? So I kind of thought, like, that's making sense. Like, And then I, I'm like, you know, okay, let's say that your construct is, is valid. Let's let's prove it, right? Let's use, a, use some sort of mind experiment to prove it out. So let's say you... So let's say you're Hitler and you killed all these people, like murdered a ton of these uh, these poor Jewish people, right, in these horrible concentration camps. So it's clear that you became a bad person and you've accumulated a lot of negative karma. You're like negative a million points, right? So you come back as an amoeba, right? So how do you become a human again? How do you become reincarnated as a human? Because, I mean, amoebas don't have morality, right? They don't make good or poor choices. They're just there to survive and reproduce, Right, survive, consume, reproduce. That's the impetus for any, pretty much any organism, right? And let's say you come back as as a frog. Like, how do you make it back to human being, right? Or you come back as a wolf. How do you make it back as a human being? Because as a wolf, there is no morality. You hunt, you eat. That's it. You procreate. Like, it's not like a wolf says, "Should I really be eating this rabbit? Like, I'm tearing this rabbit apart and I'm eating it alive. Is this a good thing? Maybe I shouldn't be doing this." Like. <laughs> That doesn't make any sense to me, right? There's no logic behind it at all. It's no. totally invalid, right? And uh, and what's the end goal of Buddhism? Like you you have all these cycles of life, and eventually you get higher and higher in your life form, and then you become one with the universe. Like that doesn't make any sense. Like you basically lose yourself. So in in essence, Buddhism is the loss of yourself. Like you don't. You lose your identity. You lose your soul because to become with you, one with the universe means that you're gone. You're no longer self. You're no longer an individual, right? So that kind of scared me. I'm like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to just like like evaporate into nothing, right? And that's not that's not something that's aspirational to me, right? And so, yeah, like, so it sounds like a lot of work to disappear. Yeah, and also like 
Buddhism is based on one guy's philosophy, right? Some guy, you know, wherever he's from, some rich prince decided to create his own religion, and he never claimed to be God. He, he never claimed to be son of God. He never claimed to be the savior, right? He's just some guy who wrote a book, and it taught some cool things, I'm sure, right? There's some good aspects of Buddhism. And, you know, I'm not knocking Buddhists in general. Like, I'm sure they're very nice people, right? I'm sure that most of them are pacifists, right? And uh, I'm sure most of them are very devoted and very dedicated people. I'm sure they're very intelligent and they love their family. They love their friends. You know, they're they're decent people with morals, right? Um, but I totally reject the construct of Buddhism because it just doesn't make any sense, right? And um, after I rejected that that faith, I kind of felt like a minority in my own family, right? I was the only Christian in my family. And in fact, I wasn't even a full-fledged Christian, right? Because I didn't... I read the Bible sporadically, right? I didn't know that much. I definitely didn't know the plan for salvation. And I had difficult questions. Like, I'm like, why did Jesus die? Like, why did he have to die if he's, you know, like son of God? Like, didn't he have the power to, to defeat death, right? Didn't he have the power to to avoid getting arrested? Like, I, I didn't understand it. Like, I'm, And I remember watching uh, this um, really interesting documentary and this, uh, there's this um, evangelist that was trying to uh, give the gospel to these this group of motorcycle gang or not they're not a gang but just these this rough crowd in a bar and a lot of them were uh, part of a motorcycle club or something and this woman's like you know jesus died for you like and you know uh, that's why you, you can you know have everlasting life like he, he saved you right from sin and then the woman's uh, in response was saying well who is Jesus? And I don't need to be saved. Like, why did he die for me? Like, I didn't do anything wrong. I don't deserve any punishment. And it kind of clicked with me, right? I'm like, yeah, like, uh, why did he die for us? Right? Why was it necessary? And I see this question uh, constantly asked by so many atheists, like, um, why was it necessary for God to, to basically um, sacrifice his own son for us? Right? And for, you know, when I was uh, growing and maturing, I didn't. I had. I struggled with that. I didn't. I didn't know why. I had no. I had no real uh, deep understanding of salvation, right? And then, so um, fast forward years later, I was watching this um, show about Katrina. I think it was um, a, a natural disaster that happened, and there's a the pandemonium, right? There's like like chaos in the streets. People were getting um, beaten and raped, and um, people were getting murdered. And there's a lot of theft that was happening, right? And pe the police force were being overwhelmed. And it was kind of like this Mad Max scenario, right? Where there just weren't enough police to help people, protect them. So they, so people ended up trying to protect themselves, right? They're arming themselves against criminals, right? And so this this one uh, person, you know, he was really devastated because his brother died, right? And um, I think it was because he was shot by a policeman. Um, and he it looked like he was robbing an uh, an establishment and so the police reacted right and so he was distraught over the death of his, of his brother and he said something he said um i got to forgive that cop for shooting and killing my brother because if i don't forgive him god won't forgive me for my sins right and i thought wow that's interesting right like that that idea that of forgiveness is actually central to christianity and I think that's something that a lot of people don't understand, right? Um, that it's the forgiveness uh, of sin, which is basically the foundation of Christianity, right? Like, you know, God loves us. Like, he created us. We're part of his creation. We're part of his awesomeness, right? 
the uh, the existence of the universe reveals his glory right like the lord did all of this right we messed it up but it's still awesome right i mean uh, and so the idea of forgiveness really struck struck me like wow yeah like uh, i always thought i'm not worthy like i'm totally not worthy of um of any of this i'm not worthy of being saved at all i'm not a good christian because i don't even know the bible i've barely read it i'm not i shouldn't be saved like i shouldn't like why should i get into heaven like i thought i'm not getting into heaven like i, I could be a christian but I probably, i'm not going to get in right but i'm going to try my best to get in right and so for me um the sort of like watershed moment for me was the as you said the momentum began to build right like i'm in a family where they're all buddhists and i'm the kind of minority and they kind of i'm like kind of like the freak of the family right the black sheep of the family and i didn't really have any support from my family like they're like why you know why you want to be christian for they're crazy like the, those people they think they're perfect and they're getting heaven because they're perfect and do you think you're perfect and like no and i'm pretty much a crappy person right and so for me, over the years, I kept on right, kept on staying on that bicycle, right? I, I kept on pedaling the bare minimum. But it wasn't until, um, you know, people started witnessing me to Christ. And it started, you know, the, the picture was blurry at first, right? But then it started getting clearer and clearer. And with the clarity came my, my, my kind of the sprout of my faith, right? It's germinating, right? And so... It's kind of like, you know, the bike was getting faster, right? The more I learned about scripture, the faster I, my bike was getting and the more stable my ride was getting, right? So um, it's kind of unfortunate that it took so long for me to actually have faith in Christ. Um, I wish I had been saved much earlier in life because then I could have done more for him, right? Um, but uh, I'm not going to let that happen to my kids, right? Like, so I've given them the gospel. They understand it, right? It's a very simple plan. That's a, that's what's frustrating. Like the plan for salvation is not complicated. It's not like you have to go through four years of seminary to, to understand salvation, right? You literally have to just, um, you can give the gospel in five minutes, right? Like the Ethiopian eunuch was saved. Philip gave him the gospel. He was saved. All right, let's get baptized, right? Done. It wasn't, he didn't take a course for weeks and weeks and months, right? And a lot of people um, were critical of Jesus, right? They're like, hey, you're you're spreading the gospel. Uh, you're winning people to the Lord. But what are you doing after that? You're just going to the next city and you're going to save some more people, right? Why don't, why don't you disciple these people that you've just saved, right? And the response to that is, well, Jesus isn't there to just um, focus on a small localized group of people. His purpose of the purpose of his ministry was to spread the gospel throughout the regions, so it cannot be exterminated, right? Um, so it can diffuse, you know, through osmosis in a way, throughout the entire world, right? And so for me, once I, you know, was given the, the actual plan for for salvation, I'm like, that's so simple, yeah, just faith, believe in Christ, right? Believe in Christ, trust in Him for salvation, as if you're a child fully trusting your parent for basically everything like think uh, think about it. a child doesn't work for for a living he or she um, relies completely on their parents for food shelter guidance love right and so it's with childlike faith that we are saved right we put all of our trust in in jesus he did the heavy lifting uh he did the the atoning sacrifice on the cross for us we cannot contribute to that plan 
it would be arrogant for us to think that God needs our help, <laughs> right? Uh, God created the universe. He, we definitely didn't need, he definitely doesn't need his help, our help, right? <laughs> and so for me, once I understand that plan, I'm like, wow, okay, I feel like a totally new person, right? Uh, my place in, in heaven is assured 100% because God promised us that, right? He can't, he cannot break his own promise to us, right? And you cannot uh, undo what God has done, basically, right? And so I think that a lot of Christians need that assurance uh, that they're going to be in heaven for sure. It doesn't matter what happens in life, um, they're in for sure because, well, solely because of faith, right? Grace through faith, that's it. Right. It's quite simple. Well, and when you said the gospel is simple, and um, why why necessary, and that we be saved, and it's um, I don't know that it is something that's actually necessary, because God said, or the Bible said, God so loved the world that he gave his only son and it's it's love he just i love like he loves something so he wanted to save it sustain it and um so yeah the 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 gospel really is quite simple i love you uh you sin and i'm going to send my son and to erase those sins now that that opens up another can of worms of questions that I still even have that I I go back and forth on like well if he loved us why didn't he just like you know let us carry on and still save us but that's a whole <laughs> different thing that I've learned about but um yeah it's it's uh amazing how um how simple it is yet uh there's so many complexities that again that opposition uh kind of creates right yeah like i mean it goes back to the whole thing that we talked about before about how people are going to nitpick anything right whether it's religion whether it's education whether it's pol pol political policy foreign policy there's going to be someone who's unhappy and they're going to nitpick oh, well, I don't agree with this policy because it undermines and marginalizes this group, right? And so, like, in response to your um, kind of thing about uh, salvation, like, you know, okay, God is perfectly good and he's just. So he sets objective morality, right? Because he has no biases, he's infallible. He can't make a mistake, right? And so he gives us free will because if we don't have free will, then we're like robots, right? And if we love him and worship him, it would be meaningless to him. Right. So we have free will. So we can either choose to accept God or reject him. We can worship him or not. Right. And so because we have free will, our love and worship of him uh, has actual value to him. Right. Like God doesn't care about money. He doesn't need money. He doesn't care about like mansions or Learjets or, you know, Lamborghinis or whatever else. Right. He doesn't care about that stuff. Right. But what he does care about is um, that we love him. Right. I mean, it's kind of like any parent, like, you know, you obviously you work hard for your family, right? And uh, the only thing you want from your kids is for them to kind of love and respect you. It's not like you're looking for a handout from your kids. Um, you're not looking for them to like idolize you, right? 
you just want them to love you and to respect you, right? And respect means, you know, that they listen to you. They, they respect your authority. They respect that you love them uh, and that you care about them, right? And so I kind of feel like in the Bible, um, there are always t there's always these illusions of parent-child relationships, right? Father God and his son, and we're joint heirs. We're like brothers and sisters in Christ, right? So um, basically God's saying like, you know, you have free will. You can do whatever you want. You can sin, you can do whatever, you know, whatever you, you choose to do, but ultimately um, you can love me or not, right? And the entire point of salvation is to say, hey, listen, I love you so much that I didn't sacrifice myself. I sacrificed what I really love myself, which is my son, right? And that's why he sent his son to die for us, right? Um, like Jesus didn't deserve to die. He didn't deserve to um uh, to be crucified on the cross, which is extremely painful, right? I mean, Jesus was sinless, right? He's perfect. He didn't sin in his thought. He didn't sin in his actions, nothing. So he didn't merit any of this. But um, he took it upon himself to take all the sins of the world upon himself, right? So he became as sin, and he accepted the full wrath of God in our place, right? So we're supposed to be there being crucified on the cross, right, for our sins, we should be punished with eternal death. But Jesus substitutes himself, right? So that he suffered instead of us. And so in a way, that's why salvation is free, right? Because Jesus died for us. So his works are what paid for our free gift of salvation, right? And I think that's powerful. Like like people say, well, why is God so mean? Why does he have to kill his own son? And I'm like, well, God's not a he's not a sadistical maniac that you kind of make him out to be like the plan of salvation reveals to us his glory and his love for us right yeah because you're right like would a human father kill his own son sacrifice his own son just so that um the world could be saved from this horrible thing right no i don't see anyone who would do that right it would take an extraordinary person to say yeah i'll sacrifice my son yeah i'll do it right it's like literally, would you do that? Like, no, nobody would do that, right? I mean, look at Abraham and Isaac, right? Like Abraham was legitimately willing to sacrifice Isaac at the altar because God said, you know, I want you to sacrifice him, right? I mean, God was basically testing him, right? And God stopped him from doing so, right? He's like, okay, now I understand that you have full faith in me. You were, you, you're going to do it. I know that you're going to do it, but don't do this. Like it, it was this, it's just a test, right? And like, that's totally awesome, right? Like that Abraham that had that kind of degree of faith, right? But I don't think the secular world would have that kind of um, faith or even the understanding, right? Like that, um, you know, in order for justice to be upheld, sin must be punished. If God didn't punish sin, it wouldn't be fair, right? Uh, it's kind of like if you were writing a, if let's say you and I were writing a, uh, setting for a, a major exam, a final exam, and I just goof around and play games all day and you study your butt off and you were in the library all the time and you just said, no, I'm not going to play games. It's where I can't go for dinner. I can't watch the movies. But then we both passed the final exam, right? We both got A's. Like that wouldn't be fair, right? Like why should I get an A for not even studying? And yet you sacrifice all the stuff and you get the same mark as me. That just wouldn't be fair, right? I mean, the exam would be meaningless, right? Um, and so in a similar way, if God didn't uphold justice, it would be meaningless. It would be meaningless for anyone to be good, 
to follow any rules, to follow any laws, right? Uh, if, you know, we were both employees of a company, let's say we work for Google, and then I was always late to work, um, and the boss never did anything, I'd skip off work to go play video games at home or, you know, whatever. And But you were there every day. You clocked in, clocked out, you did a lot of extra hours, you put in a lot of overtime work. And I was never punished, right? And you were never recognized for your emeritus actions. That wouldn't be fair. We would think that the employer was a joke because I've never been punished for anything that uh, I did to break the laws of the workplace, right? They would consider the employer or the boss a bit of a joke, right? No one would respect his, his or her authority, right? And so I kind of feel like that's the whole idea behind salvation, right? And the whole idea of the final atonement, right? The sacrifice of Christ for us is that God doesn't take himself as a joke and he fully respects the only law, the own, his laws that he created, right? He um, shows us that, hey, I made these laws and I abide by them too, right? And even though I'm the creator, um, in order for you to get into heaven, I must sacrifice my son for you guys to get in, right? And you can't get in otherwise. If I didn't sacrifice my own son, nobody would be in heaven. It would be empty. It would be, well, it would be, it'd be devoid of human beings, right? It would only be a place of angels, right? But I kind of feel like if you actually, with a humble heart and with a sincere heart, accept the gospel, like really listen to it, understand it, you're like, yeah, like God is totally, fully awesome, right? Like he did this for us so we can get in, right? Like we can't get in by ourselves and he knows this and that's why he sent his son, right? And for me, that's totally like amazing. <laughs> and it's very aspirational and it's very inspirational, right? And this message, that's why it's called the good news. The gospel is called the good news because it is great news for mm -hmm. us, right? Like without Jesus, without our faith, we will end up eternally destroyed. We will not be partakers and joint heirs of the everlasting kingdom of heaven, right? And I'm certain that in heaven, there'll be some pretty amazing things that are beyond our imagination. Our mortal minds cannot even come up with the awesomeness that we'll, you know, we'll experience in heaven. Oh, right? of course. It'll be way better than Matrix, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so the... Ending of Matrix, we have the group in the Nebuchadnezzar, in the Nebuchadnezzar ship. I think that's what it's called. What it's called, and uh, it's yeah, yeah the, the it's such a hard word to to pronounce. So anyway, like it's a crisis moment. The Sentinels are coming in. They're like blasting through the hull, the hull of the ship, and Neo has to kind of like uh, get out of there, right? And so he's he's basically dying, flatlined, and there's this moment of shock, right? They're like, all is lost, right? And Trinity's like, no, I have faith in you, Neo. You cannot die. And so the symbolism here is that Trinity, obviously is the Holy Trinity, right? Trinity resurrects Neo by kissing him and basically saying, I love you. Come back to me. You can do this, right? And Neo does come back, right? He is kind of resurrected. So, you know, it's clear symbolism that Neo is the Christ figure in this story. Um, so he comes back, he is resurrected, and then he defeats the devil, which is Smith, right? He pummels him, he flies into his body, and he gets kind of destroyed, literally, right? Uh, and it ends with Neo saying, I'm going to expose you. I'm going to expose all the lies to the world, right? And I think that's cool because, um, you know, Matrix is obviously a science fiction movie, but appeals to a, a very wide audience. 
And like people who are atheists can enjoy it and appreciate it for its visual aesthetics. And theists can also appreciate it for the pretty awesome eye candy that it is. Um, but also there's so much allegory buried into the matrix and it's all about um, faith and, you know, redemption. And, you know, in, in some ways it's kind of like it pictures Jesus is uh, Jesus's death, uh, burial and resurrection, which is the hope of the gospel, ironically. That's uh, I'm glad you brought that up about Trinity, um, and how uh, her expression of love was what awoke and resurrected um, Neo, because it was so representative of, uh, or very clearly declaring Neo as like the Christ figure. Um, and I thought that was, you know, with all of the, like you said, it's a very allegorical, uh, story, but with all of the, um, interpretation that can be made throughout it, <laughs> that pretty much sums up, you know, that they're, that they're really talking about Jesus and, you know, he's Neo, um, it's, um, uh, an anagram for one, um, she, she's, uh, named Trinity, the love of Trinity, like, yeah, it, it kind of, it's sort of a, and it happens closer to the end of the film, so it's, it's sort of a, okay, this is really what we're saying, um, and uh even though the the following films may or may not um you know they they confuse things a little more when we say are they is this a promotion of or is it a denial of christianity whatever that was i think that was the the real thing where the real moment where we saw okay this is they're making a point here and and they're saying something about Christianity. So yeah, I really I really liked the the idea of kind of pulling it apart and I think in many ways we we kind of just scratched <laughs> yeah. the surface on it. Um and then because there's a lot of I think even in the uh latter films there's a lot of mythology or um you know, symbolism that is reflective of other things other than uh, Christianity. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's such a good film, and, you know, I'll continue to enjoy it when I see it once every five years. Exactly. Yeah, like, now that I, you know, now that I'm saved, I understand the plan for salvation, and, you know, I continue to read the Bible and to, to kind of find the difficult questions, right, and get the difficult answers, you can apply the this kind of learning understanding to all films, to any work of fiction, right? And it's interesting because when you have this knowledge and you watch a movie now, you're like, oh, yeah, I can totally see, like, there's nothing new on the sun, right? All these stories are basically, and themes are all the same, right? Um, it's not like these stories are brand new, right? And I think that's, again, why people resonate with it, because... Um, you know, if there is a, this kind of idea of spirituality and this subconscious sort of awareness, right, 
um, it all kind of points back to Bi- to 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 the Bible, to Scripture, right? And uh, Bible prophecy is also something that is very very interesting to me, and we see um, its application in many films, right? Uh, there is all always this kind of like um, metaphor or allegory uh, that relates to prophecy, that relates to a lot of the themes that are covered in the Bible itself, right? And so, yeah, like this is awesome. Like uh, I really enjoy these podcasts, and uh, this concludes um, this month's podcast uh, regarding um, you know analyzing popular culture uh, through the lens of scripture. Uh, I'll see you next time.